0: and a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? I bet you have. I bet we all have and maybe many still do. And Scott Hubbard, my guest, is going to talk about that today with us. And he says that there's an air of mystery that surrounds that question. God can God will, God's will can seem a little ambiguous at times, maybe difficult to discern. And it is certainly a land without maps, he says. So we're going to have that discussion with him. He's an editor and writer at DesiringGod.org. I would have Scott on every week if he would agree to, but I'm always glad when I can get him. Hey, Scott. Hey, Bill. Glad to be here. Yeah. So sometimes I read scripture and it's very simple what God's will is, yeah. you know, rejoice always, uh, pray continually, you know, <laughs> this is the will of God this for is, your life. This is the will of God for your life. So yeah. I go, okay, that part's really simple yeah that's right and but there's more to that, isn't there? There is more, okay,
2: yeah, I mean, as any of us discover very early on in the Christian life, there are parts of life um miles and miles of life that do not have a clear direction, a clear word in the Bible itself, <laughs> and we might think you know there are these clear instructions about what the will of God is in so many areas of life, really throughout mm-hmm. the scriptures. We might be looking for the same kind of clear cut clarity in the more ambiguous parts of life that God doesn't intend to give us in his word. So that was certainly true of me as a young believer, wanting to have the kind of the same kind of certainty, the same kind of uh, single minded. I know this is the right thing to do in this moment. And uh, it's no surprise that I had a hard time finding what that was.
0: (laughs) Well, let's let's maybe discuss some of the. questions people have is is this the right job for me uh should our family move to the city or the suburbs yeah this is all in your article at desiringgod.org and the name of the article is called do you do you do the will you know the first step for further guidance scott hubbard's my guest so let's talk about those questions everybody has them including right today yeah uh what am i going to do fill in the blank
2: yeah that's right and a lot of those questions are so agonizing and we labor trying to discover what is the will of God here because they end up changing our lives quite a bit. What job you take, whom you marry, where you live, those kinds of things change the course of your life. And so I think it's quite understandable that we uh, agonize over them and wonder what would God have us do here? And yet, uh, It can feel like, like you said earlier, like I have in the article here, it can feel like a land without maps Mm -hmm. and people go different directions on this. You know, Christians will have different leanings, different convictions, depending on how charismatic you are or how charismatic your background is. Sure, You might ask the Lord for an impression or a vision or a dream or try to read the signs in your circumstances. Uh, I, as, as a young believer, was um, flipping a coin about one decision. <laughs> if it lands on your yeah. heads ten times in a row, yeah. I'll know I'm supposed to go this way. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, and then uh, other people may uh, just agonize in different directions, but probably all of us know what it feels like to have a really big decision ahead of you. You know this is going to change the course of your life and, uh, uh, to, to one significant degree or another, and, and you want to know. You want to know you're making the right call.
0: Okay, Scott Hubbard, does scripture give us a compass?
2: It does give us a compass.
0: Good, I like a good compass.
2: And I think a compass is a helpful word. Uh, it doesn't give us a map to these decisions, to okay. whom to marry, what job to take, where to live, etc. Uh, we can talk later about how sometimes the Holy Spirit does lead us in more manifestly supernatural ways that give clear guidance in areas that are ambiguous. But the norm, I would argue for how God guides us is by giving us a compass rather than a map, giving us a direction and shaping the internal sense of direction that we have according to his revealed will. And the clearest place that I've, that I fasten on for what that compass is, is the Lord's prayer. The first half of the Lord's prayer, where we have the prayer. We don't often think about it perhaps in these terms, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that that is a brilliant compass for yeah. all of the elusive, ambiguous decisions yeah. we have to make. And
0: you said that like you, you knew it by heart. Well, I mean, <laughs> <think a> oh, <laughs> I mean, I think didn't see you, you look down to check your notes. You your, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You yeah,
2: t- that's right. Oh. Yeah. I, I, quite a few of us, I'm sure, can say it in our sleep whether well, we want believe, to or not. Believe
0: me, we, we can say it in our sleep. Yeah, yeah. So say more about your will be done.
2: Yeah, your will be done is one of those petitions that has layers of meaning to it. So at the very most basic meaning right there on the surface of the text, what we're asking when we say your will be done is we're asking that the will of God we see in Scripture would be the will of God we see everywhere we look in the world, on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that God's will would no longer be ignored, no longer be despised, but that it would be done with the same kind of angelic zeal that the will of God is done in the heavenly places. So that's first. Second, what we're praying when we say your will be done is we're saying not only your will be done on earth, but your will be done, not mine. And we get that in particular from Mm -hmm. Jesus later in the Gospel of Matthew in the Garden of Gethsemane. He uses the exact words that he taught us to pray.
0: Matthew 26?
2: Yeah, in Matthew 26. 42? That's right. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Same words. So, obviously, that's a unique moment. None of us are going to have a moment like Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he's giving us this, and the gospel writers are giving us the Lord's Prayer so that we would have... Similar kinds of moments, not in the same way that Jesus did, but that we would also come to places where we see the will of God. We see that the Lord himself is taking us down a path that part of us does not want to go down. And your will be done is a way of saying, a way of opening our hands and bowing our knees before him and saying, Mm -hmm. we know you're good.
0: Yeah. Scott Hubbard is my guest. He's over at DesiringGod.org. Scott, maybe you should remind us all how we have no control over just about everything. <laughs> you know, so when we yeah. say "Thy will be done," yes. I always think, yeah, "Duh." <laughs> yeah. You know what? What am I controlling right now? Yeah. My next breath. Yeah, that's right. I don't think so. I think that's God's choice, God's decision. Yeah, and it's
2: wisely, helpfully built into those very first words of the Lord's Prayer, "Our Father in heaven." The heavenly part, I think, getting at the total sovereignty of our God, that he is really the one in control. That's why we're praying to him in the first place, (laughs) because he can do something about all the things we're asking him about. And then he's our father. And so we know he's good in all that he controls.
0: Mm -hmm. So we get to a point, Scott, where we say, "Okay, your will be done. And how do we discern that? And how do we start walking it out?
2: Yeah. So that's the third layer that we could talk about with your will be done not only your will be done on earth your will be done not mine but your will be done in me so it's not only this massive prayer that the will of God would happen all over the earth as it does in heaven but it's also that it would happen in me right now in all the various circumstances of my life down into the deepest places of my heart up into the words that I speak today out into what I do today your will be done and One simple framework that I have found helpful, because that just brings us back to our initial question of how do we know what the will of God is that we ought to do today? Two simple statements that I have found helpful for guidance. Do the will you know and discern the will you don't. Say that again. Do the will you know. I got that part. Discern the will you don't discern the will you don't know okay <laughs> all right yeah i could see the confusion there on your face. Yeah. Bill. but do the will you know
0: discern the will you don't know so who else needs a sock puppet right now <laughs> i mean you've done a beautiful job of explaining that it just hasn't quite clicked it in my brain well, that's fine let's talk about it yeah no just the second part discern the part you don't know yeah that's the part i'm i'm just trying to massage a little bit
2: so the the discerning part gets us into those areas that are not clear scripturally so how do we know whom to marry where to live what job to take that sort of thing um that's that's the question that often we're asking when we talk about the will of god how do i discern what is not clear but the framework that i'm proposing puts that as the second part of a more fundamental Mm. calling Okay. Which is to do the will that you already know. Mm -hmm. And I think as we pay attention to that, what will become clear is that if we're going to discern how the Lord would lead us in places that are unclear, then the first step of that, the prerequisite of that is to attentively obey what we already know he has said.
0: Okay. I like that.
2: To do the will that we are not unsure about, the will that he has made manifest in his word. And the first place to lean that direction is simply the rest of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the uh, most telling passages for this is the next chapter, Matthew 7, when he he presents this this really sobering scene where many will come to me on that day, Jesus says, and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name, cast out demons, do many mighty wonders in your name? And Jesus says what he's going to tell them is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Matthew seven twenty one, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So the will of my father who is in heaven A few verses later, he's going to talk about that will in terms of his own words. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, he is the wise man who built his house on the rock. So if we want to know first and most importantly what the will of God is, the will of my Father, it's found in the words of Jesus. It's found in the words of God here most immediately in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what your will be done means first and foremost in me. Make it so, Father, that I would walk in all of the teaching you give me, starting here in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's a lot of wisdom for your youth. I mean, I, you, you can't see Scott, but he's he's young, he's tall, he's good looking, he's oh, wise. No, I'm just saying, you know, because I know your mom's listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I know your mom, so that's why I'm saying that. Yeah, you that. do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so
2: here's here's a here's an illustration or scenario. You can imagine two people. Uh, <laughs> Walking away from hearing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And one of them says, you know, that was a great sermon, but I really just wish I knew what the will of God is for my life. And it would be totally right for the other person to respond. (laughs) Didn't you hear what he just said? You just told you what the will of God is for your life. <laughs> yeah. You, be poor in spirit. Be a peacemaker. Forgive others as you've been forgiven. Kill mm-hmm. lust and anger and vengeance. Pray in secret and fast in secret. Walk down the narrow road. This is the will of God for your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a necessary and regular challenge that I need to remember is if, for example, you are wondering what job to take. Here's a question. Are you doing your present job to the utmost for the Lord's glory, because that will is very
0: clear. Ooh, I like that.
2: Or if you're wondering whom to marry, are you walking with your whole soul in a biblical vision of singleness? hmm Because that that will is abundantly clear, that mm-hmm. that is what God wants you to do. Or if you are wondering where to live, are you right now loving the neighbors where you currently are? Mm-hmm. Are you practicing obedience in the local places where yeah. you already live?
0: Or do you want to move to get away from them? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: Uh, because it, it's it's not... Uh, uh, knowing the will that God has already revealed, as we, we can talk about more, is is uh, far more important. It's, pri- it's the priority against discerning the will
0: that we don't know. Awesome. Scott Hubbard is my guest. You can learn more about him at DesiringGod.org, the article that he has written that we're talking about is called do the will you know the first step for further guidance we'll be right back
1: you are listening to an encore presentation of afternoons with bill arnold faith hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: All right. Thank you for being here with me today. If you just tuned in, Scott Hubbard is my guest. He's a writer, editor over at DesiringGod.org. He's written an article called, Do the Will You Know, the first step for further guidance when you're trying to figure out what is the will of God for your life and is it challenging for you? Are you trying to make a big decision? And how do you know what God's will is for your life? That's what we're talking about. And Scott's done really a nice job of laying out uh, some principles. And if you missed any of it, I really do encourage you to go hear it from the beginning. Because so far, so good, Scott Hubbard.
2: Well, glad to be here. Glad to yeah, talk about it. Yeah. You
0: know, I was interesting interesting uh, story that Tim Keller told about when he decided to, uh, he and his wife Kathy, to start Redeemer in New York City in 89, I think it was, and they had, I think, 12 or 13 people that showed up the first week, and they said, you must have really gotten a, a message, a confirmation from God, this was his will for you to do. And he goes, hmm. no. He goes, I just saw a need, and I thought, I'm going to go try to meet a need. Yeah. And if it fails miserably, I will have learned something Yeah. That God will be teaching me. Yeah, that is really good. And
2: I think that we need to have a category for that kind of thing,
0: because
2: if you're like me then you feel pressure to justify decisions like that with more spiritual capital than you have by saying you know that <laughs> that you that you do think the lord led you led you here in a more clear way than is actually perhaps the case and i think it should be very acceptable for someone to say i did pray i did you know think about this in light of scripture i did get counsel i don't have 100% certainty that this is the this is the best thing to do but i think it is and i'm going to move this way and see what the lord does
0: yeah yeah that's what we have right yeah that's a compass i'm moving in this direction yeah that's yeah. right i like that
2: and That gets to uh, why doing the will that we already know is so foundational and the priority before we get into situations like that where we need to make these really big unclear decisions because here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It's a familiar passage, but it touches right on this topic that we've been discussing. He says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think that sometimes we want to have the ability to discern what is the will of God without the long and difficult and self-denying necessity of not being conformed to this world and of being renewed, transformed by the will of God. Now
0: you're getting convicting. (laughs) (laughs) You want the goods without necessarily the hard work. Yeah, that's right. But discerning the will of God
2: necessarily rests on doing the will of god doing what you already know doing the clear will of god being transformed by what he has clearly said and not conforming to the world in the
0: ways he's clearly prescribed Mm -hmm. yeah we we live in a world of shortcuts though right and short often shortcuts are dead ends yeah yeah that's right And so are we walking in god's will right now yeah before we try to get more information about his will for something future that's right okay
2: and so I think, you know, there, there's extremes here. There are different kinds of people that you would, it would be helpful to say different things to. There is one kind of person, um, who, who may seek a more supernatural way of getting guidance. And what, uh, what this person may need to hear is that the way forward is actually going to involve a lot of hard work, a lot of rigorous thinking. And a lot of daily unspectacular obedience yeah. to get clarity on the way forward. I do think there's people on the other side who need to hear, you should be more open to how the spirit may lead over and against what the evidence may suggest. So I think there's, there's you know a cutting both ways that is helpful to give, but mostly in, in this article and mostly in the circles that I've been in, it seems like there needs to be the emphasis that the The decision-making process sometimes doesn't feel or look supernatural, as supernatural as we might think it should. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's difficult. It's it's painstaking, and it requires an, a really engaged mind.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're giving me a lot to think about. I hope <laughs> listeners are feeling the same way. Yeah. I
2: Well, this kind of stuff gives me a lot to think about and a lot of challenge, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the discernment process um, is maybe more difficult and more challenging than we want it to be or think it should be.
2: Yeah, that's right. Hmm. So just consider for a minute all that I think is categorized or, or fits under this label of discernment. Discern the will of God. It involves gathering from Scripture the appropriate words that God has spoken to our situation, understanding them rightly in context, then applying them rightly to you know how they meet us 2000 years or more later rightly weighing all of the relevant factors in our own situation and the friendly counsel that we receive praying diligently for wisdom all the way and obeying what we know in the meantime i think all of that is what uh, we find under that word discern <laughs> the will of god mm-hmm. and we would we would like it to be easier no doubt understandably mm-hmm. so but what god calls us into is not the not the shortcut of simply getting a word from heaven most of the time, but the spirit dependence that comes from all of that, um, discerning and thinking and praying and hearing mm-hmm. counsel and et cetera.
0: Yeah, and Scott Hubbard, does that depend on being patient and prayerful?
2: Absolutely.
0: Okay, say more about that.
2: Yeah, patience and prayerfulness are probably the two. Hallmarks of good decision making. Mm. I talk later in the article just about how decision making, the best decision making, happens from a kneeling soul. It is prayerful. Because what we are asking ultimately in the Lord's Prayer is that God would do in us and create in us what we can't do and can't create in ourselves. We can't do the will of God without him. We can't discern the will of God without him. We're praying that he would make this happen. So prayerfulness, yes. And then patience for all the reasons we just talked about because the will of God often isn't evident on the surface and often the way he's pleased to lead us is through a patient process of rightly weighing all relevant factors.
0: Mm -hmm. And we look at what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, saying, Your will be done. What a great model for what we should do.
2: Yeah, that's right. And saying it three times over, It's uh, again, this is such a crucial moment that's different from the moments that we have. The Garden of Gethsemane was unique to Jesus, and yet there are things that he models for us so beautifully there.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Feels like we just took a a a little five week course in discerning God's will and understanding (laughs) God's will. I mean, you've just given us so much to think about. Mm -hmm. So this will take some time to process for sure, uh, because you've uh, given me a lot, and I I hope I hope uh, others are feeling the same way. Um, Yeah, I'm almost at a loss for words right now, which is a horrible (laughs) thing as a radio host. It really is horrible. It's you know because I got another. Minute and fifteen seconds. <laughs> well,
2: here uh, let me let me take it then from you, Bill. All right. Um, what what I wouldn't want anyone to come away with is the sense that we that um, this is this way of discerning the will of God isn't honoring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is our guide, He is our counselor, He is our leader. We have nothing apart from the Spirit. But one thing that I would want to emphasize this. Let me read a quote. This comes from J.I. Packer. He says the true way to honor the Holy Spirit as our guide is to honor the Holy Scriptures through which He guides us. I think sometimes there can be this bifurcation between pursuing the direction from the Spirit and reading the Word, mm-hmm. but rightly seeing the Word comes from the Spirit. And so right. when we listen to it, we
0: listen to Him. Scott Hubbard, come back often. Good you to be learn, here. Learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org. We'll take a break. We come back. Overcoming Father Wounds. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
2: Time, time. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill
0: The world is full of women who have been hurt, possibly neglected, rejected, or even worse, abandoned by their earthly father. So that might affect every aspect of their life because there's been a trust that's been broken. And it can even sort of bleed into your relationship with God. And We're going to talk today about that very topic uh, with Kia Stevens. She's written a book called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. What a fascinating title. And Kia, I'm so glad you wrote this book. I know there's so many people that are hurting, aren't there?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is. I can't walk into a room and mention the title of my book without someone being able to identify so I, I'm unfortunately very aware that this is a, a very real pro- problem.
0: Yeah. So maybe we can start by, by by having you kind of explain what a father wound is, because there's going to be people that don't know what you mean by that.
1: Sure. Well, a father wound is synonymous with father absenteeism, and so that can happen in a myriad of ways. It it could be by way of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration. Uh, a a one-night stand, an affair, or a a physically present father, but an emotionally absent one. All of those circumstances, and of course, it's not limited to those that I just named, but all of those Mm -hmm. circumstances have the potential to create a wound in the heart of a woman.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Kia, I know you've got a a personal story. When did you realize that you had one, the father wound? And what, what did you do about it?
1: Sure, and you know what's interesting is that my normal uh, was my dad leaving gifts on the front porch of my grandparents' home. That was normal to me. That was what I knew, and I never really uh, questioned the normalcy, quote-unquote, of that or the health of that. And when I went to college, I went to an all-girls school in Atlanta, and I remember being in the dorm room of a friend, and she said she made a bookshelf that was in her room with her dad. And when she said that, for whatever reason, it hit me like a ton of bricks. In that moment, I I knew I wasn't okay. I knew I had issues with not having a relationship with my father. I knew I wanted exactly what she had. Um, and, and so I did the best I could to get out of her room because I didn't want them to see me crying. And I boo-hoo-hooed. You know, that was the catalyst, so to speak, that triggered me and in, into examining my wounds and my own hurt as it related, related to my father.
0: Wow. Kia um, Stevens is my guest. So just seeing a, a hand-built bookshelf that— This woman and her dad put together just triggered something in you that's like, oh, wait a minute. That's something that's never happened to me.
1: Well, I think it was a combination of the relationship that she had with her dad. And I had spent a little bit of time with her and her her father when we were moving in. And just seeing that it was just bringing to the surface the reality that that was a relationship Mm. that I didn't have with my own dad.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go, and if we can, uh, Kia, maybe describe some of the father wounds that you have identified in your book, Overcoming Father Wounds.
1: Sure. I've looked at it a couple of different ways. Number one, we're triune beings. So we're body, soul, and spirit. So every aspect of who we are has the potential to incur a wound. If it's a body wound, it could be physical or sexual, unfortunately. If it is a spirit wound, it could be a wound that presents a barrier to us knowing God is our Heavenly Father because our earthly fathers Present the provide a lens through which we view our heavenly Father, and then as it relates to your soul, made up your mind of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You could have a love wound, a trust wound, a provision wound, an affirmation wound. Uh, all of these varying types of wounds have the potential to impact us at varying degrees, depending on what age we were when it happened, whether we were able to heal, uh, how deep. The wound was, when, when we incurred it, so many different um, factors impact the type of wound mm-hmm. that a woman has. Uh,
0: what about lack of advocacy wounds? I mean, when you mentioned that there was emotional or physical or even sexual uh, abuse, what if there was abuse within the family and the dad didn't come to your defense?
1: And I call that a protection wound. Okay. I, I actually talked I actually talked about it in, in um on my YouTube channel, but you know, if you've never had anyone to advocate for you or to protect you or to uh communicate to potential suitors, this is how she should be treated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You may feel as though you're left to fend for yourself or nobody's going to come and fight for you. I know I I have felt that way at varying times. So most certainly um, an advocacy wound or a protection wound can definitely be be, uh, incurred in the heart of a woman.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I've heard stories of women who have confessed to inappropriate behavior done to them by other family members and then the, the the dad and the mom and the dad said, I'll, you know, I I don't believe you.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I didn't speak to that directly in my book, but I've definitely heard of that as well. And and certainly when we think about the role of a father, we really place him in in the role of a protector, Mm -hmm. someone that protects not just the daughter, but the entire family. And you're, you're left so vulnerable and so exposed when you don't have A father in that role for you that that does fight for you that does protect you that does cover you and shield you you can feel so isolated and alone and and really as if you don't have a protector
0: Mm mm-hmm Kia Stevens is my guest her book is called overcoming father wounds exchanging your pain for God's perfect love so Kia why should women Uh, be proactive to address their father wounds? I assume you are thinking they should.
1: Uh, Most definitely. uh, I do. You know, and and I want to say as women are listening, I I can definitely hear the pushback. I I know I was not jumping at addressing wounds. For years, I masked it. I I faked it. I, I used performance to cover my or address my need for Affirmation. I I used uh, so many different substitutes to fill that void Mm -hmm. in my heart, so that I wouldn't have to do the work because it it is work. It's work to deal with your uh, childhood traumas or your undealt with, unhealed wounds from your from your family or from your past. It's a lot of work, but I believe that women should address those wounds because. Even if we don't address it, it it doesn't mean that those wounds are just going to disappear. It doesn't mean that those wounds don't impact other areas of our lives, whether we know it or we don't know it, Mm -hmm. i.e. relationships with the opposite sex i.e. our children, i.e. the way we show up on our jobs and and in our careers. You know, trust wounds and affirmation wounds and protection wounds, provision wounds, those types of things may not be visible, but they still impact us and Mm -hmm. they impact how we show up every single day.
0: Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you encouraging women to start stepping out what are some practical ways they can do it to heal
1: certainly uh, i always say the best place to start is with acknowledgement bill you know if if a woman is listening to me right now um i'm i'm pretty certain that this conversation is a little bit of an indicator for her okay if if she's listening and she's feeling uneasy or she's somehow been catapulted to sometime in her childhood or sometime when she was 22 or something that her father did that remained unresolved, that is probably an indicator that she's not okay, that there's something as it relates to her relationship with her father that is concerning her. And, and I believe that God allows us to be um, disrupted, so to speak, or to be triggered, so to speak, so that we can address those broken places in our lives, so acknowledgement number one, and not necessarily acknowledging it to their father just acknowledging it with the lord uh and and from there, inviting God into this journey of of healing mm-hmm. there's there's several practical. Things that I also recommend in my book, one of those being counseling, another one being a forgiveness letter, reading that letter to an empty chair. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a forgiveness will in my um, in my book. And then there are several self-reflecting questions that I believe women should ask themselves, and those are found at the end of every chapter. Um, so a woman can take pick this book up and at her own pace, at her own time, uh, process, begin processing her father wounds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, on occasion, I like to do a short five-person survey, so I'm not asking for tons and tons of responses, just the first five that come in. I'm curious if you would respond to me. Do you have a father wound? Yes or no. And you can send the word yes or no to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And we'll just do a quick five person survey. So the first five uh, that come in, we'll we'll get a little, a little indicator as to how listeners are uh, uh, feeling about this topic. I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of yeses. So um, sure. what, yeah. about, what about if dad's no longer around and you're still in pain?
1: Well, you know, I have had women to do the forgiveness letter. This was something I had on my original blog, the Father Swamp blog, which I'm I'm in the process of changing. But I had a forgiveness letter template. I had women doing that forgiveness letter for fathers that were deceased. Mm. and and telling me that they got so much healing and so much closure and and just so much freedom from doing that forgiveness letter even if the father is deceased or the father is is gone and and not going to come back um the the misconception that we have about forgiveness is that it's for the other person it's not for the other person. They don't have to be present. They don't have to ever change. They don't have to ever say I'm sorry. They don't have to make amends. Uh,
0: Kia Stevens is my guest. Her book is called Overcoming Father Wounds for a short break. and We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Kia Stevens is my guest. She's written a book called Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. And Kia, my five-person survey went quickly. And uh, there are three yeses and two no's. So three yeses, I do have father wounds, and two no's out of five.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, I kept a running survey on my blog um, and I had over 900 and some odd participants. And the survey respondents ranged from ages 20 something to 70 something. I'm encountering women who are in their 70s that have had father wounds and never been able to process never been able to heal in fact that was the common thread of the survey respondents that they had not been able to heal and get closure and some of those survey survey respondents said that their father had father wounds their mother had father wounds and now their kids had father wounds which meant that if a wound is not healed then women are sometimes predisposed to replicating this cycle of father wounds in the lives of their kids
0: well mm-hmm. that makes sense doesn't it
1: yeah but you know what i don't want um if there are women who are in that situation i don't want to leave it there because there's always hope and you know i grew up in a single parent household. I was one of the statistics. The one in four children grow up in father absent homes. That was me. But for the grace of God and, and I want to offer that as encouragement if there are, are single parents listening now and you're you're thinking, oh no, my child is growing up without a father, God is able to be a heavenly father in the lives of, of children that, that don't have their biological father's in the home or a father figure in the home. And I certainly have seen that in my life, how he's kept me and he's protected me. And I think when we went to the break, Bill, I was getting ready to say something about forgiveness that um, I, I don't know which part I'll be repeating, but just the misconception that the forgiveness is for the offender. And that there's an expectation that before I can offer forgiveness, then I need to receive something from my offender, i.e. my father. Um, and, And that's just not true. Forgiveness is simply the act of relinquishing my right to hold another person responsible for the wrong that they have done to me. It's not dismissing, denying, justifying, excusing, or pacifying the behavior. It's simply saying, God, I give this to you. I trust that you are God enough to handle the people who have wronged me, even even if it's my father. I trust that by me choosing to forgive, I'm not allowing him to get away with something. I'm not letting him get the short end of the stick. I'm I'm choosing to place the outcome in God's hands instead of my own.
0: Mm-hmm. Keel you know, some people will say, and they understand this, I think, that the view of God is gonna be shaped by my earthly father. So if my earthly father is a really good man and full of integrity and love and unconditional love, that will be a great model of what my heavenly father is going to be. So when people say that, what do you what do you tell them?
1: Sure, I I mean I I, I love this question because when I was just blogging I stumbled across this quote in the Washington Times that says it's common for people to perceive that God is like their fathers or their their fatherly figures that they had in their lives and I was like oh my goodness here is this secular resource that is really substantiating what we see in the faith uh that that we view God through the lens of the, t- the father that we had. So if we had a distant father or a dictating father or a, or a passive father and a father, a dominant father, then we're perceiving God to be that way. But I'm so grateful that God has chosen to reveal his attributes to us through scripture mm-hmm. and so that we can get to know who God is based on his attributes. We see, it, we see it as he engages with mankind through, throughout the Bible, uh, but we also see it in, in just in, in, in scriptural form. We see that God is loving. God is kind. He is compassionate. He's accessible. He, he is righteous. He's intimately concerned about the details of our lives. He is a personal God. He's not a distant God, but it takes time. It takes time. I I, I have often said on some of these interviews that I'm trying to uh, succinctly capture 20 plus years of my life where I wrestled with God and I, I asked him questions and, and, and wondered, can you really be God enough to fill the father-shaped vacuum in my soul? I, I know you as a God who heals the sick and a God who provides financial resources and the God who puts food on the table. But what about these intimate details of my soul? So I got a chance to wrestle with those, you know, for 20 plus years. And then I hop on an hour podcast or a radio show mm-hmm. and I, I try to com- convey that, that truth. So I, I understand there's going to be some pushback and there's going to be some uh, reluctance to latching on to this truth. But even if there's pushback, it doesn't mean it's not true. It's going to require us to take a risk on trusting God, to ask God, to to have honest conversations with him uh, about what he's able to do in our hearts and in our lives. And I believe when we do that, God will engage with us.
0: Mm. Does your earthly father know how smart and wise his daughter is?
1: No, no, I don't. I don't know, but okay. he, you know, I I do want to say that because sometimes people ask me, well, what's your relationship like with your dad now? And um, I, I am grateful to be able to say God has done an, an a re, a redemptive work in our life. Um, in fact, leading up to the publication of this book. The publisher wanted me to secure an information release from my father to make sure that he was okay with the content that was going to be shared in the book. And so I fly to Texas, that's where I'm from, and pick my dad up, take him to a Mexican restaurant. That's uh, one of his favorite types of food. And I pull out my little pink laptop bill and sit it on the table, and I'm ready to dive in and start reading through this this manuscript, the parts that pertain to my dad, which mm-hmm. the manuscript is about 95% me, and then maybe 5% I talk about my dad. And so I I said, Dad, are you okay with this? After I read a little bit, and he said, yep, I'm okay. I read a little bit more. He says, yep, I'm okay. And then when I get to that last little section that I read where I talk about everything that he missed, I look up, Bill, and tears are streaming down his face. And um, he said, you know, I'm sorry. I, oh, I really owe I know. I, I really owe you and your mother an apology. Wow. And the beauty of that moment, honestly, it it was the apology, but it, it wasn't in the sense that I didn't need it anymore. I didn't I, there was a time where I had a you owe me list that was as long as a front door. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it was like I need to get this, I need to get this from you, you owe me this, you need to say this, you need to say that. But in that moment when he said I'm sorry, I didn't need it. God had already transformed my heart and what I was able to offer him is is another miracle because I was able to say dad you know it's okay we all have things that we have to work on that came out of the 20 plus years of wrestling and 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 really warring with God and and, and trying to find out are you capable of of healing my father wounds and discovering that he is and so I didn't have anything of of you know any vindication that I was trying to get from my father in that moment. All I wanted to offer him was the same type of grace and compassion that my savior has offered offered to me. And and I thank God. I thank God for that. And and my dad is one of the most remorseful. Um he's the one of the most um Broken people in in terms of just an awareness of what God has done in his life. And and he extends that gratitude to so many people. He's a giver. He's kind. And I, I thank God that I leaned into forgiveness, that I leaned into relinquishing my right to hold another person responsible for my wrong so that I could be here at this juncture 20 years later and engage with my dad and see genuine tears fall from his face, um so you know that. J- just wanted to give that to the listeners, just in case they're like, "Does her father know that she's, <laughs> that she's on a radio program?"
0: <laughs> no, that's very powerful, and the words you gave to him, I'm pretty sure came right from the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 truly grateful. In fact, in my book, I thank him. Because because of his willingness to allow me to share his story with the entire world, uh-huh. so many women are going to be healed. So many women are going to be set free. So many women are going to know that they can, in fact, exchange their father wounds for God's perfect love.
0: Mm-hmm. Kia Stevens, can I ask you uh, maybe a little bit of an oddball question with just sure. a minute or so to go? Uh, can sure. this the truths of this book be transferred to mother wounds
1: you know i used to say no until i had so many women say well i applied this to my mother wounds. <laughs> i applied this to my mother wounds." And okay. so i had to adjust my response to this question certainly there are things that that we derive from a mother that's a bit different than what we derive from a father but all of those healing um tools and and tips that i offer can be applied to a, to a a situation with a mother and a daughter certainly i just like to say couple it with a, a book that is specifically for mothers and daughters and he, healing the wounds in those relationships but but yes because i've been proven wrong yeah. so many times
0: yep. Yeah, Kia, what a journey you've been on what this is fantastic
1: yeah, it, it's it's definitely been a journey i like to say that um Healing is not a microwave. It's a crock pot. It's a crock pot. You know, because, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, but it's it's perfect. It's God's perfect way of taking the broken pieces of our lives and, and making a beautiful portrait uh, for humanity to to display His power and His undeserving love mm-hmm. in the lives of, of the of His people.
0: Yeah, and how was the Mexican food that night?
1: It was great. It was great. I'm actually a lover of Mexican food myself. Um, I'm really good with chips and salsa or (laughs) chips and guac. So, but it Mm -hmm. it was great and the company was good.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for doing the program and thank you for uh, writing the book, Overcoming Father Wounds. Kia Stevens has been my guest, exchanging your pain for God's perfect love. Have a great rest of the day, Kia. Thank you.
1: Thank you so
0: much, Bill. All right. It's always a good time to show Christ's love to a hurting world through acts of kindness. So you can join our Kindness Always initiative at MyFaithRadio.com. You should check it out. And if you want to receive a daily email featuring a nice scripture graphic, you can sign up for the Verse of the Day email also at myfaithradio. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.